Hi, this is David Yaz at the Boston Podcast Network, host of the Boston Podcast. The show you're about to hear was actually recorded a number of months back before it was posted. Sometimes that happens due to our production schedule. Doesn't matter, though. Still a great show, and you're going to enjoy it. By the way, I'll let you in on a little secret. If you want to be a guest on the Boston Podcast, I'll give you the secret link. It's pod617.com slash invite. That's pod617.com slash invite. You pick a time for the show to be recorded. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and before long, you may indeed be a guest on on the show. Enough of my yapping. I'm with the show. The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? It's From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing city. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves, welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is Dave. If you like our show, I encourage you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you find your shows. It is the podcast where we tell the stories of your city through the voices of your city. And by the way, if you would like your own podcast, it's what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. We produce them here out of our Westwood, Massachusetts studios or remotely. We'll send you out a quality USB mic to get started. It's pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. In pod we trust. Well, enough plugging because I have an awesome guest today in studio. He's actually physically here in the studio. He creates, writes, directs, and produces horror movies. That's right. I got a real horror movie guy in the studio. I'm very excited to talk about it. His name is Luke St. Germain, and he's here in the studio. Awesome. Awesome. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I should have had like some spooky sound effects to introduce you, but I, I don't happen to have those on hand. Um, so... Uh, let's start by saying that you've created a franchise called The Face Crusher. That is, that you have more than one movie, more than one edition of The Face Crusher. There's Face Crusher and The Face Crusher 2. And uh, I can't wait. You know what? It might be a good way to start. Do you mind, uh, Luke, if I play the, the trailer to uh, Face Crusher 2? That would be great. All right, let's do it. I think it'll wet the, the palate of our horror movie fans out there. Here's the trailer for Face Crusher 2. They say... Face Crusher was just a regular guy until one day his face was disfigured in a horrible accident. And now he lives in the woods in a bunker. Shooting himself up or something. Stops. Yeah. Face Crusher 2. Yeah, so oh, so the so the first thing I noticed is you'll you'll forgive me, but this is obviously intentional. Um your actor is wearing a mask. <laughs> a big rubber mask. Yes. So I'm guessing there's a your your films come with a wink and a nod. Is that fair to say? This one 100%. Okay. That's kind of what makes the Face Crusher so fun is there's definitely a pretty big camp element to it. We want it to be a little demented but also a little funny and Definitely a couple of winks here and there. Yeah, visions of the Toxic Avenger and movies mm-hmm. of, that, of that ilk. Mm-hmm. Who is the guy that made those movies? I don't. He, uh, I should know. It's all right. I'll look it up. Um, in other words, it's it's it is a horror. It is horror. But well, I'm thinking. I'm talking about the Toxic Avenger. But there, there was 
it was intentional camp. It was, um, you know, some of the gore looked looked fake kind of on purpose, but it was a combination of funny and gory, which is just kind of an irresistible thing if you do it right. But tell us how you, you got started in this, because you, you've made, now I'm looking at uh, something like six to eight films you've made already, but tell us. Yeah, thanks. Um, so the way I got into this goes back to, I guess, trying to figure out what to do after I graduated college because I was an English major, didn't know what I wanted to do, and um, ended up kind of falling into a sort of door-to-door sales type of a job. But I always wanted to to write, so I got into screenwriting, right? And mm-hmm. I used to love that. That was what I do kind of on my own to kind of let my imagination run free and kind of decompress from the the crushing soullessness of uh, doing door-to-door sales every day. So <laughs> right. had a couple of screenplays out there. Um, I loved it. The Actually, the very first one that I, I wrote back in the day um, ended up getting optioned by a local guy, um, made, made some money off it. It was pretty encouraging. And What was that? What was it called? So that was actually a um, – it was called Daymares, and I oh, drew I like a it. lot on my experiences in corporate America and being in businesses and just had this whole story of a, of a guy who was having a regular day but seeing all these nightmarish things pop up as mm-hmm. the day went along, um, kind of like some Jacob's Ladder type of feel to it, I guess. And um, Oh, yeah, good movie. Yeah, I, I loved it, and this was kind of my version of that to a mm-hmm. degree. Um, it ultimately didn't get made. It's still out there, but it was pretty awesome to have somebody actually give me money for a script I wrote. And, yeah. and that, yeah. was, that was a full-length film? It's a full-length film, yep. 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 And um, so I, I was trying to do that for a little while. I was like, man, this is so fun. I love screenwriting. But part of the problem is then you finish something, you think it's awesome, and then you send it out there and – Nothing happens. Um, mm. There was one that I wrote with um, a guy after after that one, mm. um, and it was this really cool um, project. He had some uh, connections with some some studios. It seemed like maybe it was going to get made. And at one point, he had it all the way up the chain where he's like, "Yeah, we're meeting with." You know, one of the guys from Star Wars, he helped, he was like mm-hmm. kind of one of the producers. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is crazy. Like, I know screenwriting is like a one in a million thing, but who knows? And then, like, we got all the way to this meeting and then, like, nothing happened. He didn't hear anything. Then I didn't hear anything. And basically, the whole thing sort of fell apart. So I was like, oh, that sucks. There's a lot of s- stories in entertainment just like that, right? I mean, it's, um, you know, my brother Adam has a version of that where he was, um, it signed up. He was set to go to front a new rock band with one of the main dudes that was in Limp Biscuit, and um, you know he they were recording, and he was living in this dude's mansion, and he was uh, you know he was gonna. I was convinced he's the next big rock star, and then like the record label got involved, and the deal fell through, or whatever. So it it, it it's um. It, there's a reason why people tell you it's so frustrating. Oh, right? exactly. And, and I was like, well, that was it. That was kind of like the shot and oh, well, and just kind of put it aside for a little while and, you know, kept working the day job and, and that sort of a thing. But um, I moved to Salem, Mass, probably about almost nine years ago now and found a lot of creative people there. And I was sitting at a coffee shop one day and we were kind of talking about like, you know, we just talked about weird stuff. We just hang out in the coffee shop. It mm. was like 
very much like a sitcom. We just talk about weird stuff, and we had this. We're like, what if, what if, what if, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if, you know, what if there was like this party here? We needed a password to get into it, and like started, and we're like, you know what? I think we have like this cool story here, and we're like, you know what? We could. Uh, we could use this coffee shop as a location. We have a location here. And then the barista was like, well, I'm an actress. I would, I would do it. And we're like, I was like, I need to, let's do it. So I like wrote a script based on that location and with that actress and kind of the story that we sort of talked about. And we're like, let's, let's just make this thing. Let's make a little short film and like, just, just for the hell of it. So, um, found a buddy with a camera. He'd never shot anything before, but he, he wanted to do it. And, um, we ended up making this, uh, short film, called uh order of the hanged mm. it was the first short that i wrote and i guess produced is a pretty loose term although that's what it was because a big part of being a producer is really just kind of pulling everything together and kind of you know greasing the skids and just kind of mm. like making things happen basically so um just no testing no, the limits of te- your credit your credit cards sometimes <laughs> sometimes yes it's the way spike lee did it yeah. absolutely absolutely and uh in this case not much of a budget to speak of other than you know you're gonna buy food for people and that sort of thing but we um we used salem during halloween as a backdrop which was which was awesome because the whole idea was to kind of show like the fun touristy side of the city and show this character walking through downtown. So we were literally going through like the Halloween crowd and like filming, mm. you know, people out in the street in costumes and, you know, just kind of capturing the, the craziness of like the Halloween mob and then contrast that with like the sort of underground scene and this underground party that she found. And, you know, she ends up with this kind of secret coven little cat or mouse. Like, is she going to get them? Are they going to get her sort of a thing? So it was, I thought it was a really fun idea. Um, it got into a couple of film festivals. Um, I'm not saying it was great and looking back, it's ridiculous. The stuff that we were doing, (laughs) um, but it was so much fun that we're like, we have to do this again. So So that's kind of what started. So you kind of, oh, by the way, as an aside here, the, the toxic Avenger is produced by trauma entertainment. Those those films, the trauma, the trauma films that that I knew, I I couldn't remember who did it because I wasn't allowed to watch stuff like that growing up. So I kind (laughs) of missed the boat on that. Yeah. I don't don't know if I ever knew trauma. This is me reading from the interwebs, uh, founded by Lloyd Kaufman and Michael hers, but, um, face crusher is definitely a spiritual descendant of, of trauma. Yeah, they did. They've done movies like Cannibal, the musical, The Class of Nukem High, um, and of course, The Toxic Avenger, which is the the the, the heartwarming tale of uh, a hero who was uh, poisoned by radiation or something, and is just figured through the whole movie. I hear there's a remake on the way, so there. Could I heard be, that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It could that's, be his time again soon. That's funny. So, what is it you like about? Horror, because I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I have a screenplay, too. You can have it if you want. I, we, me, a buddy of mine wrote it in, like, uh, 1992, I think. And we okay. wrote, we wrote it um, during the height of the the talk show, the crazy talk show craze. If you're old enough to remember when, you know, uh, Jerry Springer first burst on the scene and oh, it yeah. was Jenny Jones. And there was a whole raft of these, like, absurd behavior and absurd guests on talk shows. So we wrote one about this dude who was just kind of bored with his life as a social worker. And so and he teamed up with this woman he met and they posed as different crazy people to go on these talk shows. And then they kind of fell in love and this whole thing. And it was called uh, Chips and Salsa, which is which sounds random. But um, we thought it was a good name for a movie. Love to read it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I don't know if I can find it. But, we, but to your point, like we put so much energy into writing the thing, made a couple 
very pathetic efforts to shop it and then just gave up. So it's, <laughs> so it's, so it's, it's um, the, the passion only takes you so far sometimes. But I give you a lot of credit. This I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, you have, um, six movies, seven movies perhaps. You've got one you're working on right now called The Witch on Bridge Street. Oh, and, yeah. And so what? let me ask you this first. Why, why horror? What appeals to you about horror movies? Yeah, I guess there's a couple of things. Um, because I feel like what I'm doing is not strictly like horror per se. And horror is such a popular genre now, and there's so many different kind of niches that people carve out. Um, I th- I'm, I'm not going to be the I'm really going to terrify you guy or – we're going to just do a bunch of crazy blood and gore and kind of go for that crowd. I, I like things that are just a little strange and unusual, and I like to think of it as uh, Twilight Zone-ish, I guess. That would probably be my my ultimate like aspiration is, awesome. to, is to kind of be at that level. So it's almost thinking, like, what if? Like, what if something really weird happened, or what if what if this happened, and kind of, kind, kind, kind of go down that road a little bit. So ultimately I want the stories to be a little strange and unusual and have just a little bit of humor in them to make them, you know, kind of, kind of interesting. So it's not trying to give you nightmares. It's not trying to, you know, set a body count record or anything. It's just, what are some weird things in life that could happen? And what would that look like if they did? So are you familiar with the series black mirror? I love Black Mirror. Yeah. 100%. Because what you're describing reminds me of that. Love Black Mirror. Yeah. For those unfamiliar, I believe they're all on Netflix still, but it was a British-produced show, kind of like a modern-day version of The Twilight Zone, set in the not-too-distant future, and imagines all the horrible possibilities of our technology and just does it very well. It It really hits home. So give us an example of something in your films that... Is like a is a is a what if kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So for like the witch on Bridge Street, for example, because this was a really 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 fun one, and it kind of plays with <clears throat> the whole idea and sale my love of like that. There's this kind of fun party side, and people come to visit and like be tourists and like enjoy, you know, the pomp and circumstance. But then, but then, what if there is this actual dark side? And like, what if there was, you know, an actual sort of underground scene or if you go around the wrong street at night or go, go into the wrong place that something something strange could happen so the idea on the witch of bridge street is that this tourist comes to salem like an instagram influencer kind of funny slash douchey type of guy <laughs> and he's trying to pick up like a hot witch at the bar that's like his mission <laughs> right and then it's like well what if who we picked up was actually like an ancient horrible terrible witch that just looked at him as a fly coming into her into her web, basically. Yeah. So that was kind of the idea is, you know, what if a tourist picked up, picked somebody up and was actually a witch who didn't have good intentions for him? So <laughs> that's basically the story. You must love the American Horror Story series as well, right? I do and I don't. I yeah. love the ideas, and yeah. I always watch the first episode every time they come out. I don't usually make it all the way through a season for whatever reason, <laughs> but I yeah, love, love of, the ideas. Some of them do run out of steam, and some of them, uh, for those that don't know, I think those are on Netflix too. Anyways, there there are several seasons. There are probably like six or seven seasons, but each season there's a, a repertory cast of actors and actresses that will you'll see them again and again. Uh, Jessica Lang is is in some of them, and uh, yeah, a bunch of people that I can't name off the top of my head. But you know, one of them is set in an asylum, 
in New England, actually, and it flashes back to shows you what happened during like the 40s and 50s in this asylum, and the you know the spirits continue to haunt the place. They did one in the wake of Trump being elected president. They imagined what would be. It was pretty clever, like you said. The idea, the, the what could be a horror story about the political divide in our country, and it was that there was this this underground cult of of, of people that were. You know these bloodthirsty Trump supporters, but then, but then the the liberals were not left unscathed either. Like there were some evil liberals in the in the mix too. I'm not I'm not doing it justice. And then the one that might have been the most clever was that they did a, a salute, sort of a salute to the '80s slasher films, and which which had all these great callbacks, including like the band um, was it Spando Ballet. I think it was Spando, but no, it was Kajagugu. Kajagugu, <laughs> of um, course, it shows up and they all get murdered. It's still leading to this great line. It was like you, you Kajagugu just got murdered on this bus. They're all dead. It, it was just that's amazing. But it was it was tongue in cheek. Um, what were the movies that influenced you when you when you grew up? Oh man, so this is this is kind of like a deep cut, I guess. Um, so I, I didn't grow up as like as a horror person. Like I said, I wasn't allowed to watch them, so I kind of missed the boat on a lot of like the the classic '80s things. Like as they were happening, it wasn't until I was older and watched them. Mm-hmm. Um, the scariest movies that I ever saw. Um, my brother um, Matt could probably back me up on this one. Mm-hmm. Were a series of movies that we watched at uh, the church that we used to go to, which was well, that's creepy in and of itself. Oh yeah, <laughs> think yeah. like. Late 70s, low-budget, indie, Christian, mm. end-of-the-world type type of themes. The Rapture, it's, yeah. The Rapture, yeah. It was it was the Thief in the Night series, if anybody's familiar with that. It's like wow. a four-part series, and, you know, it starts off with, you know, the usual, um, you know, fun and games. People at a carnival, and they get a chance to accept Jesus and go to heaven, and, of course, they don't. And then, of course, everything starts to go wrong, and... The rapture happens. The government starts rounding people up. They start branding people, executing people, people going on the run, getting their houses broken into by the government in the middle of the night. Um, supernatural things start to happen. Uh, water turning into blood. Giant insects. But this, but but this craziness. was sanctioned by the church. Like like oh, abs- that absolutely. So we had we wow. we, we had movie night where yeah. like was I allowed to watch. Toxic Avenger or Freddy? No. Was I allowed to watch this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this was probably even scarier because we were told it was real. So, yeah. so we're watching this. I'm like, oh, my God, is this this is going to happen someday? And like, yes, this is this is what happens. Like if you, you know, if you don't accept Jesus, then you could be left in the end times with all this crazy stuff here so that's amazing oh, i didn't know those existed it, add, it added a whole level of terror to think that it was actually really going to happen i i you know my mom was uh, raised irish catholic uh my dad jewish i was raised jewish but we always watched davy and goliath on on saturday morning and we watched it for years not knowing that it was by the church of the latter-day saints and it was always like a heavy Heavy lesson, heavy moral lesson in each one of those. But I didn't get to see the horror movies. That's that's amazing. That sounds like the religious version of like Drivers Ed movies. Those gory Drivers yep. Ed. Movies. It, that's exactly <laughs> it. And I think yeah, if you ask anyone in my family, they'll be like, yeah, those are probably the scariest movies we've ever seen growing. So <laughs> that's so crazy. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you, you weren't necessarily a big fan of like uh, Friday the Thirteenth or um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I mean, at the time, not so much. Like, yeah. as I've gotten older and, you know, 
gotten caught up and you know watched everything i definitely have um in in appreciation for them and you know anything anything that uses a lot of creativity and is fun and, and gets your brain to kind of kind of jump a little bit like oh that's 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 so weird that's so interesting like i i love that so yeah. like freddie gets a lot of points <clears throat> nightmare on elm street gets a lot of points for how creative they were you know some of the halloween movies where it's just somebody popping up with a knife over and over not as much but yeah you i'm, know, with, you. You, I'm you with you get a, you know you respect things for what they are and yeah. enjoy them for what they are and yeah. I, some people are into it i think my two favorite horror movies are probably um well or it's scary anyway the uh the blair witch project which many people can't stand they think it's cheesy or something that scared the bejesus out of me just because of the Same. of the found documentary style yeah it, it felt like you were there and felt like you know we've all been in that in some situation where we've been like you know, you pull over the side of the road to, like, take a leak perhaps one night and it's dark. And all of a sudden you get the heebie-jeebies. Yep. Like, i got to get back to the car. You know? 100%. Right? And that's what it felt like. Um, 100%. I'm with yeah. you on that one. Yeah. And the other one is um, uh, an obvious choice. But Get Out, when you talk about creativity, the theme of the movie, Get Out, every time I think of it, I'm like, it's surprising nobody thought of this before. But it's um, – and that, that, that has is kind of tongue-in-cheek. Like, it, it is every – you know, black dudes' nightmare that the white people are secretly plotting against us. I have black friends that would admit as much and and joke about it, and this brought it to life, and it was brilliantly done. I thought, so. yeah, absolutely. And you know, anything involving diabolical cults is always going to be interesting to me. So it definitely had that element. And there you go. There's the whole what if. Like, what if these people are not your friends? What if this is yeah. actually like some cult like behavior and you don't realize it till it's too late like yeah love it it's like the old eddie murphy sketch when he poses on snl he poses as a white person and as as, as soon as he's alone with other white people they start throwing a party giving each other gifts and everything <laughs> um we are going to talk speaking of cults good good segue there luke we are gonna uh, talk about a cult that luke was actually in that's right that's a teaser in just one moment, but I need to take one minute to tell you about what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. Pod617.com is where you go. If you want your own show, we'll produce the whole thing for you from start to finish. Intro music, outro music. Podcasting is a great way to connect with your network, whether you're a lawyer, an entrepreneur, a financial advisor, or someone who just wants to get your message out and connect with your audience in a new way. You invite your guests on the show, and they're amazed at the quality of the show and the production, and you create a living, breathing piece of promotion for them you do a solid for them and you produce a great show yourself that lives forever on the internet pod617.com is where you go to get started the boston podcast network in pod we trust all right back here with uh luke st germain and luke uh so you were telling me before we started recording that you, you you're also an author I'm, I'm feeling very um uh insufficient and inadequate today because i've attempted to write books and write screenplays and I've, I've been lazy at both of them you have a book that you're shopping around i guess are we allowed to t tell people about it and like what it's called and everything yeah for sure okay so it's called ring the bell you told me and it tells your your, your tale of what now you, your words you were in a sales cult a door-to-door -door sales cult and i need to hear about this what was it like and what was it <laughs> yeah it's 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 a tough thing to describe um, and definitely even the word cult is kind of a strong word. I still have some, know some people who are in it, but I, for the most part, most people that I know of have left and kind of struggled to, to explain it a little bit, but, um, let's see if I can sum this up. So my first real job after college was 
real job. Yeah. So, so I thought, yeah. like, I, I was, like, going from, you know, working at hotels and bars to, like, oh, now I have to put on a tie and go sell things to people. So this seems, seems legit. But right. it was um, basically, yeah, a door-to-door uh, sales job where you – in, my, in our case, we're selling office supplies, and you'd basically get a photocopy of a map page and get dropped off and be like, here's your territory. Go talk to 100 businesses and sign them up. Get them to buy office supplies. Here you go. But the reason that you would do that is to work your way through the ranks until you are running your own office and you have your own team of door-to-door salespeople. So I ended up doing that for a little over four years and kind of moved my way through the ranks, so to speak, from selling door-to-door, which was out in California, to uh, following somebody to open their own office, which was out in Philadelphia, to opening my own office, which was out in Chicago, and kind of moving like through through the company, basically, and kind of learning along the way uh, how, how it all worked. And, and what are you selling? So we were selling office supplies. That okay. was our main campaign. But as the circle sort of the circle of knowledge sort of broadened. You realize that there were offices, multiple offices in every state. There was hundreds of offices. There was uh, dozens of different campaigns. So like our office would work on office supplies, but there'd be another one across the city working on uh, selling cell phones or selling, you know, credit card processing or like all these different, all these sort of different campaigns they were working on, uh, including people going door to door at houses, selling coupons, uh, including people going out on the streets with hockey bags full of stuff to sell. Mm. And it was all connected by this system of you start off doing sales and you move your way up to running your own office. Mm. And if you do it the right way and you work hard enough and you have a good enough attitude, someday you'll be a millionaire. You know what? I, I went on a job interview this when I got, uh, a lot of people have. Yeah. When I got out of law school, I was the job market sucked, so I took any interview I could get, and there was an ad in the paper. I remember it said "Entertainment Manager Wanted," which which seemed too good to be true, and it was. Oh yeah, but but I had time to kill, and so I went on. That I showed up, and they're like, "Well, what we basically do is we sell these coupons, and we go door to door to businesses and wherever we can find, and they were coupons to either like paintball." Or these glamour shots things you go yep. to the mall. That's that's what it was. I've I even I've even done the glamour shots. Really? When I went around the neighborhood and yeah, absolutely. I remember knocking on a door and an old lady answered that had like basically medical equipment hanging off her <laughs> face, wondering why I was at the door. I was like, "Do you want some glamour shots for twenty dollars?" <laughs> like, uh, probably not. <laughs> Said uh, you look marvelous, so you should do this. Yeah, and and I remember the pitch they gave me because I mean, I first of all, I was a law school graduate. What the hell was I doing there? But but um. You know, I, you know, leave no stone unturned. So, but at the end, I remember it's like they were giving me a pitch, and there was this guy there that was kind of smarmy, and yet he said, "I think you have a lot of promise, David." And you know, I made my first million after about seven years, but uh, you know, and I've never looked back, and whatever. And so that's the kind of thing you're talking about. So, it, 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 in, a, in a way, it doesn't matter what they're selling, I guess, right? That's what's weird. Oh, that's part of the message is yeah. it doesn't matter what we're selling. Like, none of it matters. It's like what we're selling doesn't matter. Doing sales doesn't matter. What matters is you're learning how to run a business. So, okay. So, but what? where does the, the I mean, I, and you said cult's too strong a word. That's fine. But where does that sort of, where does the culture part come in? Like, yeah, so... 
where that comes in because I didn't think of it as a cult at the time. Yeah. That didn't come up till 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 later. Um, but what I did realize is that it takes up so much of your life that it's almost like here's your new life, right? Which mm. gets spun as this is what being an entrepreneur is all about. So you get to the office at say seven in the morning. You spend two hours doing sales training and like practice pitching and then you go out in the field at nine and then you come back and you hang out in the office and decompress you ring the bell if you had a good day and then a lot of times people go out at night to do team bonding and like go play you know pool or go bowling or something and then you get home at you know 10 or 11 at night and do it all over again the next day Mm. so but between the amount of time that it took and having to travel to new cities to open an office and like basically dedicate everything you had to it some people gave too much and ended up losing relationships. Like I broke up with my girlfriend during this process wow. that I was with for four years. And, you know, that's people would basically have to give everything to it. And not a lot of people made it. So mm. as you can imagine, a lot of people who left are fairly bitter. And mm. just when I finally thought I had it made and I was like in the office and out of the fields and I had like an office day and I ended up going to Google and like looking up the company and like all these things on the ripoff report came up and I was like, holy shit, what is this? What's going on? What am I, what am I doing? And like mm-hmm. my manager kicked open the door. Like I felt like I was caught watching porn or something. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, ah, is this all true? And yeah. he's like, well, these, these are people who've left the business and they're yeah. bitter about it. We and don't speak about that. We don't speak about it. They call us a cult because they're bitter about it, but blah, blah, blah. So yeah. I mean, the internet wasn't, that popular when I was going through this, or at least I wasn't making enough money to even, you know, worry about having a computer or doing anything other than (laughs) just having like my blinders on to go through this. So it was kind of a shock to read all that. And then come to find out there's like a huge, huge sort of battle between like the, the kind of brand uh, and what kind of what the company's all about between, you know, ex employees who have left and, these ripoff report type of sites versus the people who are still in it that are like, no, they, th- those are losers. They couldn't make it. This business isn't for everybody. Clearly they didn't have what it t- took and, and that sort of a thing. So, so I did that for a couple of years. I learned a lot and I had like basically just like this crazy experience doing it. So when I left, I was like, I need to just write this down because it's, it's like an, a little adventure story basically. So yeah. I wrote a sort of memoir about my time and how I fell into it and what happened and the things I saw and what it was like out in the fields going door to door and weird things that happened there and building an office and the weird things that happened there building a team. And I did it just because I wanted to write it down before I forgot about it. And um, to be honest, I haven't read it since. But what I did do was publish it, self-publish it online, like on a little independent press sort of a site. Mm -hmm. And for the last 15 years, I've consistently been getting emails from people who somehow have found it. Um, At one point I heard there was copies printed out and being handed around one of the branches. Wow. So people find me occasionally, and um, it's like Jerry Maguire's mission statement. <laughs> Hand it around, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you said, and it's called "Ring the Bell." At first, I thought that was a reference to doorbells, but no. You you're, you come back to the office, you made a sale, you ring the bell, which reminded yep. me, I I used to work for a financial company, and one of the financial, I was a financial advisor. One of the fellow advisors, he had a bell like right outside his office that either he or his his secretary would would hit when he brought in some money yep. and, and I thought it was so annoying. And so one morning, yep. one morning I got in before everybody else and I like 
I like, you know, kind of dismantled the little thing in there that rings the bell. And so he went to hit it and made this dull sound. I was so happy. (laughs) Um, Oh yeah. But, but tell me, do you think there is a, there's a danger because we're replete with examples now of companies that have uh, seemingly gone awry and seemingly ruined lives possibly because they sold this culture that really never existed. So there've been documentaries on WeWork and uh, Lululemon, I want to say, and and others, and there are these direct marketing. Um, is that what they're called? Direct marketing. It's it's like basically pyramid yeah. scheme. <laughs> you know, it is and and I know so many people that are in this. And on Facebook, they talk about how they're their own entrepreneur and they're selling something like you know beauty products or protein shakes or something. But they talk about more about like the team and the culture than they do the actual product, and is that the, is that a, a dangerous thing that that you experienced? Or? Yeah, that's 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 kind of exactly it because like the company itself would say this is legit, this is this is fine, there's nothing wrong with this, and you know legally and business operationally there probably isn't, but the danger is how the business gets uh, sold to people right. and that you have a vested interest in building a team underneath you. So there's different ways to build a team. And unfortunately, one of those ways is to distort the truth, kind of make things sound a little better than they are, which is part of having a good attitude is <laughs> yeah. minimizing the negatives and borderline, maybe lying is a strong word, but mm twisting the truth to make things sound a little better than they actually are. Everyone thinks they're going to make a little more money than they are. Everyone thinks it's going to happen a little faster. Like it's the sheer turnover numbers get sort of swept under the rug a little bit. So people definitely have rose colored, colored glasses sort of put, put on them. And at a certain point they, they, they get ripped off. And that's, that's, that's what happened to me just at a very late stage where I was just looking at more of the Eagle's eye view of the business. And I was like, wow, this is, the perspective that I didn't have before and wasn't given before and finally hit a point where I'm like, I, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. yeah. So by the way, I, I mistakenly maligned uh, Lululemon. The, the name of the company that the documentary is about was, is Lula Row, mm-hmm. And uh, the name mm-hmm. of the doc was uh, Lula Rich. You can see it on, on Amazon. And you talk about building a team. They always talk about building a team. And the reason why they're talking about building a team is that's how you build a pyramid. You, <laughs> there are people below you and the people at the bottom of the pyramid ultimately lose. And, and the, the sinister aspect of it is they keep going to these conferences in Las Vegas and cheering and having these big parties. And the people get on stage and be like, I made $3 million last year and you can't too. And everybody goes, yeah. And it's like, well, nope. You, the reason why they made $3 million is because of you, you idiots. You're, you're the ones that are paying the thing up the ladder. And, uh, you know, eventually the, the pyramid always collapses. But anyway, I'm glad you did your part. Yeah, uh, so it's kind of an interesting thing about that is that, you know, after I wrote that and a few people have kind of reached out and connected with me after that, one of them was a guy who was a screenwriter and wanted to adapt the book into a screenplay, which which he did. Mm. And part of the thought was to get it to uh, Chris Pratt's production company because Chris Pratt actually was in the business. And there's a lot of YouTube videos of him like on Conan O'Brien and on late nights talking about basically what you said you were doing, the, the coupons going yeah. door to door. Yeah. Like Chris Pratt did that and became an owner and he talks about it and he jokes about it and we're like, Wow, so this is a story he might be interested in. Isn't so. he a Scientologist now? 
there's some religious thing going on with him now. I know he's getting some flack. I don't know if it's full-blown Scientology or, or something else. but okay. Maybe he's not. I'm yeah. sorry, Chris Pratt. I do like your movies. Well, some of them anyway. Uh, so, uh, Luke, we are up against the clock. This has been awesome. But how? what's the best way for people to find your work or support what you do or find your movies or what? Um, probably the best thing I would say at this point would be to follow some of the, the pages that I put out there under um, the Thornfall Society which okay. is sort of a pseudonym that I put my movie things under. Mm. So there's a Facebook page, an Instagram page. Uh, I'm working on a website, but it hasn't launched yet. But um, under the Thornfall Society. Thornfall Society. Where does that name come from? So it's a fictional name for a, a secret coven in Salem. And it's sort of a <laughs> reference to the first movie I did. And the fun thing about these movies is that they all sort of intertwine. Characters will start to show up. It's almost oh. like a little horror Salem universe. So, like, The Witch on Love Bridge it. Street has a Face Crusher cameo, for example. And um, it's a name that it came up with. So, Thornfall Society is where I'll be posting some some trailers and some clips. And um, anybody who is interested in that, definitely uh, follow along. There's there's uh, more to come, more fun stuff. So I, I mean, I ask you, what if Luke? What if the guy I just had on my podcast talking about this fictional uh, cult mm. and secret society was actually the leader of a real secret society? Wait, I need my uh, suspense. And then we learned. So when uh, when Ring the Bell is published, you'll have to come back on the show and and promote that because um, although I guess can people find that now or. It's it's out there. I believe it's on the uh, BarnesandNoble.com site at this point. Okay. Um, but I'm probably going to be putting a new version of it out either on Amazon or through some other avenue. So, cool. but, you know, quick Google search. Google will turn up a lot. It's out there. Very cool. When you when it is out there in more uh, in different fashion, come back here and promote it on the show. We'd love to have you. Awesome, man. Sounds great. It's been fun. For me, too. Thank you, Luke St. Germain. Check out all of his movies and such. Thornfall Society. Use the Google machine. And uh, I'm going to watch a couple of these horror movies now, just just right before lunch, because that's when I like to watch my horror movies. Um, thanks again. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you like this podcast, a reminder to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. And go to pod617.com if you want your own shoe. On behalf of Luke St. Germain, my new friend, the king of horror, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. Hey.